0: Hey guys, uh, welcome to the Refuge Church. I'm uh, I'm just delighted to be here with you guys. Um, so, the last couple of weeks, I've been reading a book called The Divine Conspiracy by a man named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was a longtime professor of philosophy at University of Southern California, and was just a, a real um, a man who loved Jesus and pursued him with his whole heart and and. As I read the book, one of the things he challenged the reader with was um, try as you read the Gospels to, um, to see Jesus as the smartest person that ever existed. And that, that sounds really simple, but as I pondered it, I, I realized that often when I read the Bible, I, I, I read it and Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. <laughs> Right and these and I can talk about that theologically, but do I read the Bible as Jesus being uh, the Word, the Logos, right, giving the most clear explanation of who God is and how can how we can be in relationship with Him? Um, Jesus is the answers, and uh, and so this last week I just sat down and read the whole book of Mark in one sitting, and I recommend that to you guys. I just read the whole thing and, and go, man, I'm just gonna. Concentrate like really focus in and go man what is what is Jesus saying and I want to read it like like he is the smartest person that, that ever existed and he's the one that knows the way to the Father and I want to listen to it like that so this sermon is uh, is an overflow of that, and I hope the title makes a little more sense as we get to the end of it um, don't speak about Jesus so i 'm going to pray before that, I'd like you to turn with me to Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And when you're done flipping pages, I'll pray and then we'll read. Oh God, we we come before you this morning and God, we want to hear from you. Um, again, I was just so... Uh, stopped in my tracks this week um, and, and forced us to look up and listen. And, and God, I pray as we're here today, even though the room might be warm and, and summer's begun, I pray that we can hear from you, God, and you'll just point us in the direction we should walk. And, and more than that, God, may our hearts just fall in love with you, maybe for the first time or maybe all over again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Mark 1, verses 40 through 45. A man with leprosy came to him, Jesus, and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Or maybe because you knew you shouldn't pray it, you thought it. God, give me... Fill in the blank. That is all I need. God, give me beauty. Maybe a, a helpful you know, switch of hair color or straighten my teeth or... Give me hazel eyes or give me this form of beauty, and that is all I need. I would be so happy, God. I'd be so satisfied if you made me look this way. God, give me a boyfriend or give me a girlfriend or give me a husband or give me a wife. And that, Lord, that's all I need. And you know if I get that, then I, Lord, you know I'd just be so happy, (laughs) Lord, give me health. You know, I've been struggling with this ailment for a long time. Lord, cure my cancer. Do this, whatever it is. And, you know, that's all I need. If, if, that, if I get that, if you help me with that, then, then maybe I'll never want for anything ever again. I'll just be happy. I'll be satisfied, God, if you help me with that one thing. Maybe it's simpler than that. Maybe it's, Lord, give me my morning coffee and then I can face today. Or give me this new pair of shoes, and I'll run faster. Or give me a vacation, and then when I get back, I'll feel a lot better, and I won't be as grumpy with other people. I think oftentimes we pray these prayers. If only God would supply this need, then all of my life would just be so much better. The man in this story, he knew exactly what he was wanting what he needed. The man had something called leprosy, and leprosy was a a degenerative skin disorder where literally his flesh would start getting eaten away. And if he knew that if he came to Jesus, and, and if Jesus would heal him, if Jesus would be willing, then perhaps he would be satisfied. And honestly, this is incredible. This is super bold. Because in the Old Testament, leprosy was something that Um, it was associated with sin. And so not only was this something that that people wouldn't just want to be around this guy, but they probably assumed that he probably said something wrong going on, that somehow God had frowned upon him, and this man was just um, a sinner that no one would want to spend time with. And yet he approaches Jesus, and, and if he was fulfilling what he should have said in the Old Testament, he was probably yelling, unclean, unclean, as he approaches him. As he comes, Jesus did something that he wasn't supposed to do, according to the law. And Jesus reaches out, and Jesus touches this man. And what's so incredible about this is that, that Jesus, being God in the flesh, does something that, that breaks the law but shows that the time is changing when... No longer is there a separation between man and God, but Jesus walking among us loves this man enough to touch him, see him, care for him, love him. I'm I can only assume, I think and all of us can, what went through this man's heart and mind when Jesus looked at him and he says, I'm willing. Right? When the man said, hey, if you could do this one thing, this one thing, and, and Jesus says, yeah, that one thing I will do for you. Um, I don't know if you've ever got a gift that was just beyond what you could have dreamed of. And uh, I don't know if you're an expressive person or not, but it was probably something that you were like, no way! <laughs> right? This is incredible. And I I think this man probably, with that same enthusiasm, when Jesus saw it in his eyes, thought, I'm going to tell everyone that Jesus is the best. Jesus will answer your needs. Jesus is willing, loving, caring enough to reach across law, legalism, all these things that might separate us from God. And he's going to touch us, love us, care for us, be there for us. And Jesus saw that in his eyes, and he says, giving him a strong warning. Actually, this is how powerful the wording is, where it says strong warning there. Literally, uh, the word is, it could be translated snort of anger. Snort of anger, right? So, so Jesus kind of, I, I don't know, it was aggressively, it was like, hey, but, but don't tell anyone about this. Don't speak about this to other people. When you go from here, I want you to hold these things in your heart. I want to consider these things. And, and this surprised me as I read Mark. I thought, man, all my life I've been told, I've been raised in the church, and all my life I've been told, man, if you're a good Christian, what you're going to do is you're going to talk about Jesus. Every opportunity you get, you're going to talk about Jesus. You're going to bring him up. And so, so why would this man be commanded not to talk about Jesus? And I'm going to take you through about uh, seven verses in the book of Mark where Jesus repeatedly is telling this man, um, not just this man, but he's telling people, don't talk about me. So if you have your Bibles, get ready, maybe lick your fingers so you can flip the pages really quickly. Um, We're going to start uh, chapter 1, verse 24 through 25. So what's happening here is Jesus has just cast out a demon, and this demon's yelling, I know who you are. You're the Holy One, the Son of God. And in verse 25, Jesus says, Be quiet. Jesus says sternly, come out of him. So, So this... Demon is declaring who Jesus is to the world. You are the Holy One of God. There's, There's no blindness on this demon. He knows what's going on. He knows who Jesus is. And Jesus says, be quiet. Don't talk about this anymore. In verse 34, it says, Jesus healed many of various diseases. He also drove out demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was because they knew who he was, and he would not let them share that message. In 144, which we just read, Jesus says, See that you don't tell anyone. In chapter 3, verses 11 and on, it says, Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. In chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus has just raised a little woman from the dead, and that's got to be something that is the most exciting thing possible for a family, just to receive back their little girl from the dead. And this is what he says. He says he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told him to give her something to eat. He's like, don't tell anybody. Get her something to eat. Strict orders, again, this strong warning. Chapter 7, verses 36. It says, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking. And lastly, in chapter 9, verse 9, it says, coming down off the mountain, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, just saw this amazing transfiguration experience where where they saw literally... (laughs) Uh, the heavens open up, and God just affirm his son. This is my son. I love him. And as they're coming down, Jesus gives him this warning. He says, as they were coming down, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Why? Isn't this so crazy and curious? Why would Jesus say, don't talk about me? There's three points I'm going to talk to you guys about. And, um, Man, I hope you guys just hear this. Honestly, earlier I was super confused with the baby, so if I looked like this, it was probably because I was trying not to listen to crying. Um, So, man, why would Jesus say, don't talk about me? If Jesus is the Son of God and the best message in the whole world, the gospel, the good news that the world's been waiting for when... When our, the loneliness we inherently experience because we were made as spiritual beings and made to, to be in a relationship with a God who is spirit, right? and we hunger for that and we long for that, and we're wanting someone to speak into that vacancy and explain to us what's going on, and now Jesus has showed up, the way, the truth, the life, by which the only way which people can come to know the Father. And he's saying to people seven times. This is no happenstance or coincidence, right? <laughs> there's, there's 16 books in this, uh, 16 chapters in this book, and seven times he says, don't talk about me. Why is that? Three things, and, and I hope I hope <laughs> uh, we're just so encouraged by this. The first is that Jesus was following God's plan, not popular opinion of people. God was, Jesus was following God's plan, not the popular opinion of people. What strikes me first is that if Jesus wanted to impress people, this is not the way to do it. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been following the news, but Hillary Clinton did uh, officially join Twitter this month. Um, If you haven't noticed, uh, a good 444,000 people have noticed and have already started following her. Um, And this is the way you impress people, right? This is the way you gain a following, is to mass market yourself. And this she's done very well. In the first 15 minutes, she had 22,000 people join her, follow her, I should say, on Twitter. And they were amazed by the genius of her biography or a bio sketch. On, on uh, Twitter, which simply said that she is a wife, a mom, a lawyer, women and kids advocate, First Lady of Arkansas, First Lady of the United States, U.S. Senator, Secretary of State, and if that is not as impressive, she is a dog owner, a hair icon, a suit aficionado, a glass ceiling cracker, and for all you who are curious about the 2016 election, she said, and to be decided, which obviously sent a flurry of activity on the blog sphere about what she will do in 2016. So this is how you gain a following, right? How many friends do you have on Facebook? How many people follow you on Twitter? How can you get the message out there that you are the person to follow? And, and Jesus just isn't following this, um, this hype. He's not even trying to create a hype. Jesus, who is the most well-known person in all of history, (laughs) as we speak, the most well-known person in all of history is someone who repeatedly would say, don't tell anyone about me. Why would he do this? Well, the first is Jesus did not rely upon the testimony or the praise of people. He loved the opinion of God. He loved the plan of God, and that's what he was about. And nothing he knew, could stop the plan of God. So he, he loved that. He praised that. He pursued that. In John 2, it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem, many people saw the miraculous signs he did, and they believed in his name. They thought, this guy can do incredible things. We're going to believe in him, which is, I think, for them at that time, meant, yeah, follow this guy. He's curing people. But it says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew what was in them. He did not need man's testimony he knew what was in them. And that's just powerful. Jesus, who's just learning. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Jesus, who's learning what it means to walk in obedience to the Father. And as he, he discovers the plan of the Father, Jesus didn't, wasn't born in like, you know, like the matrix where he's like, mm, you know, everything he needs. Like Jesus was born and he's learning in obedience what the plan of God is, how he fits in that plan, what he does. And he's, he's, he's praying and he's learning what that is. As he figures it out, he learns to value what God says. And this is so important to If you turn with me to John 5, Jesus mentions five different testimonies that he, he finds to be more important than, than any other testimony. And, and for us, I think this is so good. You, you treat the praise of people to be so important. I, I know we have a mixed-age crowd here, but some of you literally know how many friends you have on Facebook, and that's important to you, right? Some of you know your Auclid. Some of you who maybe are older still know how many letters you got in high school, and your letterman's jacket still fits, and you still look good in it. Right, we, we love the praise of men, we, and we, we seek that. And, and if they do not give us praise, that is the, that is the most serious uh, offense we, we could have, and it damages our self-confidence. We don't even know how to look at people or interact with people sometimes because we, we don't know what they're thinking about us. And Jesus wasn't affected by that. And the reason why is because... He was so caught up with what, what God's thoughts were of him. And this is the testimony he shares in, in John 5, starting in verse 31. It says, If if I testify about myself, myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor. I know that his testimony about me is valid. He goes, I'm, I'm not even trying to pump myself up. He goes, I know who testifies about me, and that is all that matters. Verse 33, you have sent John, and he testifies to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So here we have John the Baptist who's coming ahead of Jesus and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He goes, one is coming, who I, I can't, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then Jesus comes, and, and Jesus says, when John came, you loved his charisma, you followed him, and for a little while you lived in that light. But now he says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. And this is powerful. Listen to this. 39, you diligently study the scripture because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to listen to them. It's powerful. See, because John's testifying about me. The Father is testifying about me. The scriptures testify me. And then he goes on. I do not accept praise from men, but I know. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in the Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. You'll follow him around Twitter. (laughs) How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes only from God? as I and mean, this is just, this is incredible stuff. <laughs> what motivated Jesus? What gave him such confidence and assurance? And, and while people, some believed because they saw his miraculous signs, some didn't believe, some accused him, some would eventually crucify him. What gave him the ability to move forward? And it was simply this. It was because above all, he loved the plan of the Father, and he loved the testimony of the Father. And... Uh, and that's why he wasn't concerned with people, first of all, going around and talking about him. Because he knew that the testimony of people was inconsistent. He knew that one day, Daniel is excited to talk about Jesus. And the next day, Daniel is wrestling through issues and doesn't know how to talk about Jesus well. Right? He knows that not about me, not just about me. He knows about us in general, And are we people like Jesus who love the plan, love the purpose of the Father, and we just value that above anything? And so Jesus wasn't concerned with that. Love the plan of the Father, that's number one. The second is that he was concerned with the purity of the message. First of all, Jesus wasn't scared about the truth being let out. In John 14, I mentioned this earlier, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 8 says, if you hold to my teachings, you will be my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So so Jesus wasn't scared of the truth, but he was concerned about a particular message being shared, not just any message. I don't know if you've ever had people say, oh, I heard you said this, and you're like, man, I would, no, <laughs> I would never say that. <laughs> but, but as people would go out, I think while Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus said don't talk about it is because, because he knew that what was going to be shared was, was things like, man, Jesus is the miracle worker. Like, you go to Jesus, like this man, <laughs> you go to Jesus, and Jesus is going to heal you. And is that what Jesus did for all people, physical healing? No. And what's so profound about that is is because people then came to him, and it forced Jesus out to lonely places. Why? Because they wanted to force him into something that he was not. And so the message was getting spread, but the message was not right. Jesus did send some people out to preach in his name during this time, and that's important. So it wasn't just like, don't share anything. But there was a man who was healed of demon possession, and this is what Jesus said. He says, go to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He also, it says in Mark 6, it says that he prepared his 12. And he says, go out and preach repentance to the people. And so he prepares people, he's sending people. But God is passionate about this, and Jesus is passionate about this. He's passionate that the people aren't confused and distracted by half-truths and our own ideas that we can read into him. God doesn't want us distracted by good things and those good things to distract us from the gospel. So while healing is good and all the things, the love Jesus shared with people is so good, he didn't want people distracted from the gospel because oftentimes this is what it looks like. Like we talked about earlier, God, if you would only fill in my blank. That is all I need. And this is, I think, what the message looked like as people talked about it and they shared it. It sounded like this. Jesus filled in my blank. And now I have everything I need. Jesus fed the 5,000. They were hungry. Jesus fed me. That's all I need. And you have this crowd that's following him. Why? Because he's feeding people. Jesus is doing this, fill in the blank, and that is all I need. And oftentimes, this turns into a message for us that pollutes and dilutes the real good news of who Jesus is. And it can sound awesome. And, and since we're on the, the political train, you know, I've talked to people in these last months that literally grew up associating Christianity with republicanism so much that they couldn't differentiate it. They just thought, Jesus would vote Republican, right? And and what that looked like was, I believe in Jesus, and so I am a Republican, right? So many ways we can do this. Jesus is filling in the blank, and so I am. And, And the only, the only sentence that works there is, because I believe in Jesus... I'm a disciple of him, right? It's not because Jesus healed me, I'm a whatever, right? So what are you following and why? And I think as we as we really start reading the Gospels, I don't know how long it's been, maybe since you just opened up your Bibles and read them and just said, Jesus, what are you saying? And as you do that, I think oftentimes we'll realize that that I just took something and I ran with it. And and God's like, man, come back. Come back to what I'm saying. And so Jesus, not wanting this polluted message to be sent out, said, don't tell anyone. The last reason is this, that Jesus is preparing a people I think the first person who's being prepared here is is Jesus himself. Um, twice in Mark, multiple times throughout the gospel, it says that Jesus went away by himself. In, in chapter 1, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place to pray. In Mark 14, when we see Jesus about to, to go to the cross, um, we find him in Gethsemane away by himself, crying out, Abba, Father, by himself, seeking the Father, wishing, wanting to be changed himself, to be able to obey the plan and the word of the Father. Um, and I think as he listened to Father, the Father, he, there was two things that, that struck him. And the first, first was this, I think he learned um, obedience. And oftentimes we don't think about Jesus having to learn obedience. Like, like, we have to learn obedience. But in Hebrews 5, um, there's this powerful verse. Starting in verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And... And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would believe. And so Jesus himself, as he is growing up as a man, learning to obey the Father, learning to listen to the Father, he's learning obedience. and, And that is amazing. The second thing is I think he's learning to hear the words of the Father, listening to hear how much The Father loves him and approves of him and is sending him uh, forward to do something that no one else could do, which is save the world from its sins. And and I think we can learn from this so much because if if Jesus had to learn obedience, how much more do we need to learn obedience? And I think just as God the Father prepared the Son, God the Father is preparing us. In Mark 4, there's a, a parable um, of a farmer sowing seeds. And it says that he, as he threw the seeds out, some fell on hard soil, some fell on good soil. But even when that good soil uh, was there, it said that there was, there was weeds that were there. And as the, as the seeds grew up and sprouted up, it was choked out, it says, by the cares of life. So as the cares of life came, it still choked it out. And so the faith that is always attached to something else, like, God, if you'll only satisfy me with this, that's all I need, would be absolutely choked up. But what God wants to prepare in the heart of the individual that's listening to him and loving him is someone who will actually be able to receive and live from what God is saying. So multiple times throughout Mark, he's taking people away by themselves, He's taking his disciples away by themselves to just listen to him and respond to him. What God wants is to do something in us and not just something through us. And so as Jesus keeps saying, don't speak about me, what he is ultimately saying is this. I'm not just saving you so you can be a voice for me, right? And as we, as we move towards the book of Acts and we get to the end of, uh, end of the Gospels and Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the good news. This is what I want you guys to do. As you get to Acts and he says, pray, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and you're going to go throughout the whole world and take my message. I think something that we forget because we hear about that so often is that Jesus is calling us first to be still and know that he's God, um, First, he's caring for us. First, he's loving us. First, he's calling us to learn what obedience looks like. But we get so distracted by that because we just want to go be a mouthpiece for God. Um, and it's, it's something that we can't avoid, um, but we do all the time. We can't avoid it because it's said seven times, don't talk. Why? Why? Because Jesus is himself wanting to go before you, show what it looks like to have a relationship with the Father, be changed by that, know you're loved, right? <laughs> In the Gospels, we have Jesus, we have the Father speaking to Jesus twice, saying, you are my son, and I love you. And oftentimes, we want to speak for God, but, but so many of us don't even realize, we've never... We haven't heard for maybe weeks. We haven't been quiet enough to hear God the Father just say, man, I love you, and I'm going to do a work in your heart that you're going to be overflowing onto other people. And so the challenge for us is to not speak, I think, sometimes. Because we exhaust ourselves by constantly thinking of ways to talk about Jesus, but many of us don't even know the message that we're saying. If someone just stopped and they were like, "Who's God? What's the gospel? What is God doing in your life right now?" and you'd be like, "I don't know. Uh, 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 let me tell you, you know." And and yet, God is saying, "Stop. Be still and know I I love you." And, and that is just so powerful. He's not, he's not saving you for you. something you to do something for him. He wants to transform you and make you ready to go take the gospel into all the nations, but you're going to take that with joy. Why? Because he, he, he's not just concerned with you speaking for him. There's something that I... A story I remember as a child, and, and I wasn't I was like a very loud child. At least I don't remember being a loud child. Um, maybe my parents will recall something else. But um, there was one time where we were playing um, outside, me and a bunch of friends. Paul might remember this. He was there. If he doesn't, uh, forgive me now, Paul. Um, but we had this awesome t- tree house. And, and I remember there was probably like, eight of us kids out there. And, and I don't remember what was going on. I just remember it was like chaos and I remember at the top of my lungs just shouting shut up. And and that, that was like a that was like a curse word for us when I was younger like we just couldn't say that. We had to be more polite like please be quiet. Um but I remember just like yelling at the top of my lungs shut up. And and I remember because it was like a bad word, right? Shut up. Uh all the kids were like <laughs> and and just uh you know, stopping. and We all just stopped. And and I think that's kind of what has to happen in a lot of our lives. We need to be actually actively declarative in, in our our call to what's going on around us just to be quiet. In Mark, again in Mark, right? Just a beautiful book. In Mark 4, there's this uh, story of Jesus in a boat and, and the waves are coming and it's just this, loud scene. The world is, <laughs> is a stir, right? There's just so much going on. And Jesus is asleep. And and when they wake him up, this is all he says. He gets up and he says, be quiet. <laughs> be quiet. And and now, what I hope you guys walk away with from this, and, and what I pray for for us, is that Jesus, you'll see Jesus standing over you saying, be quiet. Not, not a Jesus that we've often seen in our, because we've envisioned this, is Jesus going, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. Oh, you're a bad Christian because you're not doing this for me. And that's not what he's saying. But Jesus, Jesus is. <laughs> The one standing over you saying, be quiet, be still. You're mine. (laughs) When you come to me and rest in me, I'm going to be doing something in your life that will allow you, that will give you passion again to go out and do things in my name. I'm going to be doing something in you, in your heart. I'm going to be giving you love. I'm going to be giving you joy, patience, kindness, goodness. I'm going to be giving you these things transforming you so you can go out and do things in my name. But we get that reversed. You, are you with me? We get this reversed. So we see Jesus going, you're a bad Christian because, you're a bad follower because, and what Jesus is saying is not that. What he is saying is, stop talking about me. Hear my voice. And let me, let me change you. I spoke at a high school graduation a couple weeks ago, and one thing that I told the kids was, um, don't believe the lie that you don't have to change. I said, when we tell ourselves people need to accept me for who I am, it's a certain form of blindness. It's a blindness to, to what we can become. And oftentimes as Christians we think, man, well, I'm a, I have this name Christian, so I'm all that I'm going to become. And, and that's a certain form of blindness, Right? Jesus wants you to be still. Stop speaking for a second. Come back to him. Earnestly pray, Lord, (laughs) quiet these stormy waters. Give me love again. Give me passion again. Because for so long, I've just seen you saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. So stop speaking. Guys, I encourage you together. Three things simply. Value the plan of God above any other plan you have for your own life, for the praise of men, because we oftentimes seek that praise, but that will, the praise of men, will always quiet the voice of God in your life. And you will always care more about what people think, what you're wearing, anything else, but you don't need to worry about those things. And Matthew says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. Believe that, and it will come to fruition in your life. The second thing is, Simply set yourself to know and understand the pure gospel message. Know that the message of the gospel is good news for you, and it's good news for you not because Jesus is saying, well, this world's going to get a lot better when you shape up, but it's good news because Jesus came for you to love you, right, and to quiet your stormy waters and show you the only way to the Father. And lastly, I encourage you to enroll yourself in God's school of preparation, right? To realize that you might not be ready to go out and preach the pure gospel. And you might not be ready because your whole life you've just heard do, 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 and God's wanting to do something in your life that allows you literally to do something beyond anything you could ask or imagine, right? He might want to be healing relationships that you've had broken in your life for a long time, And something that you don't think is possible because it's something you can't do, but it's something that he can do in you as he quiets the stormy waters in your life, right? There's so many things that, man, guys, even as a small church, that we can do powerfully. Why? Well, not because we're trying to just make people come or do something for the praise of men, but because, because we are listening to the voice of God, and we're learning to hear his voice that he loves us. He's so proud of us, those who have come and believed in his son. And, and man, I hope we can do this together. And I just want to make a commitment to you guys. I've been learning. I've had a really quiet week in a lot of ways. Stumbled over my words talking to people sometimes because I've just been trying to learn what it means to, to not speak. Um, so let's pray together and and. Uh, Maybe this week I encourage you guys just to read a whole book of the Bible and just say, man, God, what are you saying? What do you want me to listen to? What do you want me to be as I listen to your calming words? So pray with me and then we'll worship together. God, you you just faithfully hold out your message to us and I pray that that your spirit will again point us, Father, in the direction we can walk, both personal commitments we can make, but the direction we can walk as a church to know you and love you and hear what you're saying to us. God, may this church right even, even now hear how much you love them and aren't just asking them to do, 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 but just to be present, be present with one another, love our neighbors and love you. God, free us by your gospel again. I pray in the name of Jesus, amen.